Here they come! Hello and welcome to episode 137 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. I'm your host Eric Moore and today I'm joined by Andrew Glazebrook to discuss the effects in the first episode of Starfleet. Remember short controlled bursts. We've been here before when we did Star Crash but here you are, Andrew. You're back for a Starfleet this time. Yeah, good. <laughs> this has been one of the things that you've prompted me to do. You wanted to do Starfleet, didn't you? In one of our chats off off recording, I think I mentioned that a friend of mine, he'd named his daughter Makara, uh, mm. after Commander Makara. He used to always go on about how he liked Commander Makara uh, when I worked at the Odeon with him. So, And then I found out only a few months ago when he was posting pictures of his daughter, he'd actually named the Makara. <laughs> that, that, that is a fan for you, isn't it? Definitely, yeah. But but the funny thing is, is the amount of people... I put some pictures of Starfleet up on Instagram the other day, and there's a lot of people saying, oh, I really did like Commander Makara, <laughs> uh, bizarrely, so... There is, mm, yes, well, we'll talk about her in a minute. Um, um, yeah, there is, mm. all right, well, no, hang on, let's get through it first. Um, are you like me? Did, do you remember, you know, watching this on a Saturday morning on ITV? Yeah, now, this is another thing that surprised me. I was looking at the, um, got released in America in 1919, no, sorry, got released in uh, Japan in 1980, got released in the UK in 1982, mm. which means I would have been about 15 or 16, but I could have sworn I was a lot younger. You know, I, I had visions of me watching this when I was about sort of 12. Um, but then I'm thinking, no, I was I was 16 when this came on. Yeah, I is... was I was 19 when it came yeah, on. And really... I'm, I, yeah, I'm at that age, you know, I was a projectionist by then. And, you know, I'm an adult now, but along comes a brand new science fiction TV show, but it's clearly a children's TV show, and it was yeah. it, it, it was an odd time. And it's like, like I, you know, through the early seventies, right the way through the seventies, I was buying Looking because you know you had comic strips of Space nineteen ninety nine, Six Million Dollar Man, and that. But I had stopped all that because I'm now an adult. But I actually had to start buying Looking again because it had a comic strip of Starfleet, didn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's quite weird. So I must have probably been in, like, my last year of uh, secondary school when this was on, because I do remember talking to friends at school about it. Um, but, yeah, I didn't realise I, yeah, I was kind of that old in a way. I was just about to leave school. Mm, uh, yeah. So that's weird. Yeah, it was October the 23rd, 1982, uh, yeah. the first episode aired, and it was the day before Star Wars was ever shown on UK television as well. Yeah, that's right, yeah. that That's a good uh, sort of way to publicise it, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yes, This the original series in Japan, it was called X-Bomber, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And um, looking into it, it seems that the Japanese television network didn't have a tradition of the puppet shows like the Jerry Anderson shows, um, but and it was the success of Star Wars that made them think about, we'll do a, a, a Star Wars-inspired TV show, 
but for a cost thing, they decided not doing it as an anime, but do it as a a live action. But rather than use people, because that's far yeah. too expensive, to use uh, puppets, and and they were heavily, heavily inspired by the Jerry Anderson shows, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, the the documentary on the uh, DVD set, uh, Go Nagai. Uh, I'm not too sure what his, his full name is, but that's what he goes by. He mentions this, doesn't he? Mm. That uh, you know, it was a, a chance to do something with the puppets instead of live action, and obviously he was a, a background in traditional animation. Yeah, and he had. Met, there are many trademark things for Go Nagai. For, for example, you know the the giant robots that are yeah. combined from various pieces. So yeah, you've got this that that this melting pot of, you know, you've got Star Wars in there, you've got Jerry Anderson in there, you've got the background in anime from the guys and it's all become this very curious odd little TV show. And it, of course back then, you know, we didn't have the internet or anything like that. All the, the the most information you ever get is if there might have been a feature in looking or you're listing in the TV Times. That we these little curious things just appeared, didn't they? And we had no yeah. way of knowing how long each series was going to last for, or who was behind it, or anything. They they, they had these li- little oddities that would turn up from time to time. The, the other thing, I suppose, that really kind of threw you as well when you were younger is obviously it, it was giving you the kind of the English credits. So it was giving you the the guy um, who'd taken over uh, production in the UK, who was in charge of um, you know the redub, the re music, mm. stuff like that. So you know you were thinking, is this kind of a co production? Mm. Um, you know, is is this kind of um, you know Japanese English co production? You know, I didn't realise uh, until years later it was obviously just a case of it. No, it was a Japanese show, full stop. And then we just took a you know a, a version of it. Um, it it's kind very. Of, it, what I was going to say, what it, what it reminds me of, it reminds me of the the whole Magic Roundabout story with Eric Thompson, where he huh? kind of he he kind of got that French show, didn't he? Um, but then just through the entire sort of. Uh, original language track and script out. They did a similar thing with this. They kept the the basic synopsis because obviously they had transcripts of the Japanese script, but the the music and the voices and everything else is completely redone. Uh, there's none of that's the original um, Japanese. Um, and I always thought the music sounded very sort of Japanesey, sort of uh, you know fit with this the, the show. But that was um, Paul Bliss who did that. Paul, and the, that that was his very first composing job. Yeah, as well, from the Moody Blues. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean, it's quite interesting. I mean, you know, I mean, it, again, you know, in this pot, this Milton pot, you have the tradition as well of yeah, like you say, you you have a Japanese show come out over to the west, and it has to be read up. You know, you've got Battle of the Planets, you've got Marine Boy, you've got all these shows. But yeah. yeah, it was Michael Sloan, the man who was behind all this, uh, was Michael Sloan, who, who who would later go on to create the Equalizer. Um, and yeah, he did say, yeah, we did have transcripts of the scripts. We had a rough idea, but yeah, they they just made it up again, didn't they? And uh, it would be interesting to see, um, you know, a comparison as to just yeah. what the the dialogue was going to be in the original Japanese. It, it sounds from the reference on the documentary that what they did is they literally uh, translated the transcripts, uh, you know, well, you, you know, whatever they were in, in the dialogue, but then they needed to compress that dialogue down to actually fit the lip sync because obviously the puppet's mouth's moving. Mm. Um, so, you know, they may have had a certain amount of words and thinking we can't fit that in the puppet's mouth at that point. So they would reduce the script to fit the mouth movements. Mm. 
um, you know, so there wasn't any more dialogue than was needed. So um, I suppose that was someone's task just to condense the dialogue into manageable chunks. Yes. Um, and I, th- I think as well from what I gather, I think there was 25 or 26 Japanese shows, but we only got 24. Yeah, one of them was a recap. I think one of the Japanese ones was just a recap yeah. somewhere towards the end to remind yeah. you just what had been going on. I've said to you just before we started recording today, um, it's been quite a slog to get through all 24. Um, mm. I started off lockdown by watching, you know, two or three a day, but it becomes quite repetitive, the show, yeah. after a while. It's only towards the end uh, where things actually start changing. Um, but... Uh, it, it it's still a curious little show, um, yeah. which I'm, I'm I'm very fond of and, and look back on. It, it's funny when you get the DVD and look at the extras that some of your uh, conceptions are misconceptions. For example, a lot of people reckon Brian May from Queen yeah. did the music. Well, no, mm. he didn't. He was a fan of the show. He used to watch it every Saturday morning with his kids. And mm. that's when he went off and he did this... Um, Starfleet Project. Starfleet Project, yes, yeah. Um, with Eddie Van Halen. With, yeah, yeah, they teamed up for it. And uh, it is quite painful to watch it now um, on YouTube. I'll put a link on Facebook uh, to the actual promo video. But yeah, everybody thinks that Brian May did the music for it. Mm. And it's just not the case, is it? Yeah, it sort of helped promote the show, I suppose, in, if it was still doing reruns on ITV at the time, I suppose. And the... Uh, the fact it was in things like Looking Magazine, yeah, I suppose it helped kind of give it a bit of a push. But yeah, people are under the uh, misconception that yeah, Brian May does sing the end theme tune, which he doesn't. I don't know. No. I don't know who actually sings the one in the show. I know, say, Paul Bliss did the music and wrote it, but I don't know who actually sings the one at the end. No, I think it's just session musicians. Yeah. Like, like I, yeah. I mean, we've got some notable voices, which we'll talk about in behind the scenes. Mm. Uh, people who went on to do more noticeable things, but a, a lot of them aren't. And I think, yeah, it's just a it's it's a, a job for them, isn't it? Yeah. Another thing that is mentioned is uh, Gunagai sort of says himself that uh, it, he was kind of a bit disappointed in terms of the the lack of sort of um, quad, not. not I suppose quantity of things, um, it was pretty much the same every week in terms of like the ships. You know, I think he said he would have liked kind of like the equivalent of a, an ex-bomber for the bad guys so they could slug it out, mm. um, you know, which um, would have probably been like a typical Japanese sort of thing. But um, I think that the problem with this type of show for me, and this is one of the reasons I like things like Star Trek, Star Trek Next Generation, Book Rogers in the 25th Century, is because every week you were kind of on a different planet with a different villain. And okay, you might get a recurring villain like the Klingons or the Draconians um, or the, you know, the Ferengi and things like that. But it shows like Battlestar Galactica and shows kind of like this and um, Battle of the Planets where you've got that same villain every week. Mm. Um, and, you know, that it does tend to get a little bit kind of like, oh, it's just these again. You know, it's like... Um, you know how how many times can they attempt to do what they're going to do and fail? Uh, you think they just give up and go home? Well, if you think about it, twenty four episodes—that's what yeah. like a half a year you would have been watching this, and it's always the same bad guy every yeah. time who defeated yeah. and then scuttles off and then comes back again. Yeah, it did get kind of like monotonous uh, yeah. uh, halfway through. It's it's a you're similar with Captain Scarlet with the Mistrons. Um, obviously, in Thunderbirds, it was rescues. So you know, one week he might be an oil rig, and the following week it may be sort of a cave. 
Um, and okay, you had the Hood as a villain who would occasionally pop up, but Captain Scarlet was similar because you know it was the Mistrons every week, and you know they were either trying to poison the water supply one week or blow up something the next. But you know it was just the Mistrons, um, and I suppose in a way, you know, after all them episodes, you think they are getting pretty incompetent. These guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know. All right. Well, let's crack on, shall we? Let's get into it. Let's get into this very first episode then. Yeah. We're out of Thalian zone now. Yes, Commander Makara. Ten parsecs. Slow from hyperspeed. Slowing down from hyperspeed? The galaxy stretches before us. Glittering jewels that we will take one by one, starting with the planet Earth. That we shall, by your divine guidance. Look out for enemy craft. Hold quantum speed ahead. Look out for Starfleet cruisers. I'm maintaining quantum speed. Starfleet cruiser in front of us, distance 80 millitons and closing fast speed. Cruiser traveling at quantum speed, Captain. Prepare to attack. Wait, Makara. Yes, Imperial Master. The devastation of Earth is of minor importance. You understand our real objective. Keep it locked in your mind. Always I will bring you honor, Imperial Master, by your divine guidance. Let the attack commence. Victory will be ours. Prepare laser torpedoes. Combined cluster assault with maximum penetration of the Starfleet cruiser. Don't leave a single particle of it. What is that? Pluto base. Pluto base, this is Starfleet Cruiser 1, sighted large alien warship. Entering our galaxy from Thalian Zone. Cruiser 1, determine their identity. Yes, sir. So it starts off with the Imperial Alliance warship, which is my favourite ship of the show. What do you reckon? Yeah, it's it's a, a cool design. It's um, I don't know how you would describe it, really. I suppose it looks a little bit kind of like a giant woodlouse or something. It's that, and it's a bit shark-like. When you see yeah. it in profile, it's a bit shark-like as well. Yeah, it's got these kind of weird sort of ribs, doesn't it, over the back of it. And you can see through it in places as well, can't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, there it is. It's it's going through space, and uh, we see the commander. Yeah, the brilliant Commander Makara. Yeah. Very unusual look. This uh, th- 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 this is. She's got a me- metal basque on. She's yeah. got a metal skirt. She's got long red hair, um, and she has what an awful lot of the villains have in this show. She's got a symbiote, symbiote yeah, over her left arm. Oh, sorry, arm, left uh, eye. eye. Yeah, yeah. Um, which takes over her mind when she talks to her boss, the Imperial Master. She yeah. tends to go into a trance, and then this this face that's over her left eye starts talking in a male voice, and it's a totally different character. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Hmm. Uh, and I was going to say the, uh, the really like for the majority of the show, it's kind of her and the guy who I always thought well, you should pronounce his name Orion. It's actually Orion. Orion, yeah. Yeah, even though it has actually spelled just Orion. Yeah. Um, there's kind of just mainly her and him, and then these kind of bug-like robots, isn't there? Um, mm. they're, they're pretty much like for 95% of the show, the main villains. Yeah, it's only towards the end we get some like very Thunderbirds-looking extra bad guys start coming yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but there she is. She's she's always seems to be standing at the back, up on her little podium, holding mm. on to her sword, um, shouting a lot. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you've I've seen and I will put on Facebook. Yeah, there's a lot of fan art to do with Starfleet. An awful lot of t- is to do with Commander Makara. Yeah. Some people do find her rather alluring, don't they? Yeah. Uh, mm. voiced, um, by, voiced by Denise Breyer. Who would go on to do what? Zelda. Zelda. And once ah. you know that Zelda from Terrorhawks, you yeah. can't listen to her again. It was Zelda and the uh, the other woman from Terrorhawks. The... Oh, Kate Kestrel. No, not Kate Kestrel. The other one. The um, other one. Uh, the blonde-haired one. What's she called again? I can't remember the name of that character. I thought that was Kate Kestrel. No, it's not Kate Kestrel. Uh, well. Kate, Kate Kestrel's the singer, isn't she? Yes. Uh, it's not. No. I, I, oh yes. No. Oh now, what is her name? Oh no, I've forgotten it. Go on, Andrew. Doing, you can do I'm it. Doing, I'm doing a quick search. Hang on. Let me have a look. I also uh, say while while you're looking, Andrew, she Ma- is also uh, Mary, jo- Mary Faulkner. Mary. That's Faulkner. it, Mary. Yes. Mary. Yeah, but yeah, this Denise. She also is the junk lady at the end of Labyrinth. Yeah, who's trying that's right. to lure, lure Sarah back in? Yeah, and yeah. she's—I think she's the chicken in Return to Oz, the little uh, animatronic ah, chicken. I think you're right. Yeah, the voice yeah. is very similar, isn't it? Yeah. Your mate, right, that uh, named his daughter after Makara. <laughs> yeah. If if he had had a son, would he have called him Orion? Do you think? Possibly. Yeah, it may, it may still happen. You wouldn't yeah. want a kid to look like Orion because <laughs> Not really, no. he's been sculpted stupid. I think is the best way that you can. Put it. He, he is a comedy lackey, isn't he? Yeah. And, and he's got a symbiote as well, who goes over his right eye. It's sort of like a centipede thing, which goes up over his helmet, through a crack in his helmet, and then the yeah. tail of it comes out round by his neck. Yeah, the, the other thing as well is, obviously, some of these characters, like uh, Makara, is actually called Bloody Mary in the original Japanese version. Right. Um, and I think the episode that was actually cut was just called Bloody Mary. Oh, was um, it? Yeah, uh, that's her actual sort of character name in Japan. So you know, you could probably understand why they didn't want the name Bloody in the in the title. I, t- I presume um, she's called Bloody because her hair is red. Possibly, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the the characters do have different. I always remember this from the, a thing in Fantastic Films. I think they had uh, um, PPAs like PP Adamunsky um, in right. the in the thing in Fantastic Films, and I think. Uh, it's not Shiro Hagen, it's Ginga Hagen, I think he's called. So there, oh, okay. there, was, a, there was a few name changes, uh, but yeah, she's definitely called Bloody Mary. Oh, right, right. Which do you prefer, Makara or Bloody Mary? I quite like, well, I'm, I'm used to the Makara, so I think it kind of fits in a way, yeah. Your mate should have called her Mary then. Yeah, yeah, should have. Middle name Mary, yeah. Yeah, or Bloody Mary. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and and we've got these these drones. We've got these drone soldiers on on the bridge. Um, very Star Wars prequel ones, I think. You know these dumb robots, which the, uh, you, you, you know serve they, them. They are annoying. They really remind me of the Famash get smash robots when they're all going mental. When when there's rushing around, it is totally yeah. that. It's totally Michael Benteen's potty time. It's that sort of thing, isn't it? You know. Yeah, um, they're just they're just. They don't appear to have a great deal of like movement, so they just kind of flip around at the waist, so they, they, they do seem quite comedic. Yeah, and their mouths just fall open and close, open and close. Yeah. Um, that bridge with Makara at the back, and you, you know, you've got these drones at the front. I thought is very uh, Star Trek Three Klingon bridge. The way you've got 
it all oh, yeah, set up like yeah, that. with the like the lackeys down in the pit almost. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think part of the charm of this show is, you know, all the effects that you see, be it you know the spaceships or the puppets, they're all filmed at normal speed, aren't they? Mm. In real time. Um, so when you see a spaceship flying through space, that is actually flying through space at that time. Yeah. 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 Of course, that creates a problem because you've got, it means all the models have to be in scale with each other. If, if yeah. you're not doing any sort of compositing, all the models have to be in scale with each other, don't they? Yeah, and uh, I, th I think in terms of like the, uh, certainly the X-Bomber, I think there's about three different skills you can sort of see in the show, mm. um, you know, for various different shots. It does, you know, um, there's, there's, a close, there's the massive close-up one, there's the mid version, and then there's a, a small one for if it has to be next to the main cruiser. Yeah, because that cruiser is three feet long, um, yeah. and there was only one of them. But yeah, the Hero X Bomber model was six feet long. It yeah. was double yeah. the size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and like so many uh, things in science fiction, I much prefer the technology of the bad guys over the good guys. Um, yeah. You know, uh, the X Bomber is a cool design, but I much prefer um, this Imperial cruiser. And a lot of their like their little ships that launch from the front are kind of insectoid, aren't they? As well, they've kind of got bug eyes and mm. sort of you know that type of thing. Yeah, you on. have these carriers come out, and they each one of them carries like six fighters, don't they? Which detach yeah. from underneath. Yeah. Um, so this warship is here. It arrives in our solar system. Mm. Um, um, Pluto, we, isn't it? It's meant to be. Yeah, yeah. Since the last space war. Um, yeah, there's a base on Pluto, and the whole solar system is guarded by the unfortunately named EDF, mm -hmm. uh, the Earth Defence Force. But over here, that's uh, that's who we get our electricity from, <laughs> you know. So it's a bit jarring. Um, and yeah, Pluto base is attacked again in real time. You know, they are real explosions going off. Um, yeah. Some of those sets are quite big. Some of those uh, yeah. model sets are really quite big. Must be. And um, then we get to see our humans, our humans on Earth. And it is so Thunderbirds. It is yeah. so incredibly Thunderbirds. Um, yeah. But, I mean, you know, if you watch the Jerry Anderson shows, you know, you see a pr progression and evolution over puppet designs, you, you know, brought on by years of experience and, and refining their art. But, mm. I mean, like General Kyle, when you first see him, you know, he's got a good voice, but... His arms just hang loose at his side, and when he turns, his arms just move with uh, with the body, don't they? Yeah, because the the puppets weren't really marionettes, were they? They were more like a, a rod puppet. Um, yes, they were all. Yeah, that's why you don't see them from the waist down. Yeah, yeah, um, and the, the the faces on all the humans. Um, they the, back then they seemed odd to me, and they still seem odd now. And I think what they're trying to do, I think they're they're trying to go for an anime style, especially with uh, Shiro, um, you, you, you know, but that looks odd when you put that into a 3D form as a 3D sculpture. Yeah, it, it's a it's an unusual show from that point of view in terms of some of the characters, yeah, are blatantly anime style, but then you've got Barry Hercules and <laughs> um, Lee who kind of seem very European. I mean, you know, the fact that you've got a, a black character with his afro, Mm. Um, uh, he's got quite a pointy chin. He's got like a Jimmy Hill chin. Um, that is but, so Jimmy Hill. Yeah, but you know, it's it's the fact that it, it was you know whether trying to appeal at that point to a worldwide market, did they know that this was going to be sold around the world? And you know, why not? Yeah, put a few other sort of ethnicities and different types of people in. 
Um, so it wasn't just all Japanese characters. Because I say, obviously, Makara and um, uh, Shiro are yeah, blatantly Japanese-inspired manga, but the, mm. the other characters don't seem to be. No. I love Shiro. The thing I love about Shiro is he never takes his helmet off. No. I was waiting <laughs> through 24 episodes for him to take his helmet off. Even yeah. when you see him, you see him in bed in one story and he's still got the helmet on. <laughs> and the only time you, there's only one time you see him without that helmet on and it's because he's wearing another helmet. <laughs> is, it, is he self-conscious about his hair, do you think, or something? Or is he balding and he just doesn't want to take it off? He's, he's a big fan of Judge Dredd. Is that what it is? All right. Okay. He's got a very Michael Jackson nose as well. Yeah. Again, it's a very anime style, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not too sure about the size of the puppets. He describes them in the documentaries having quite small heads. I don't think they were quite Thunderbird-sized puppetsies. I think they were sort of... Sort More of, Captain scarlet size. Yeah, yeah, slightly yeah. smaller. So, yeah. But it, it, they really are kind of just the eyes and the lip, or the chin. Yes. Um, again, there's not really a great deal of movement in the faces, is the, um, the, the, the very sort of stationary in a way. Out of these three, I mean, yeah, you, you, we've got John Lee, who's almost like a Friar Tuck type. Yeah. You've got Barry Hercules, you know, with his chin and his afro, and always wears camouflage for yeah. some reason. Um, and his afro looks like it's made out of styrofoam. Who's your favourite out of those three? Uh I mean, I do like Shiro. I think he's he's kind of the Luke Skywalker of the oh, thing, yeah. isn't he? You know, yeah. I mean, um, I mean, it is obviously, I suppose, a Luke a Han. I mean, you've got the, uh, the 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 hairy thing. I can't remember what he's called now. Um, I can't remember. I cannot remember what he's called. Um, the, Chew, the Chewbacca looking thing. Um, yeah. Oh, what's he called? <laughs> I can't remember his name. I, mean, I can't looking... remember his name. I'm looking on the list here to see if he's down, but because he doesn't have a voice, I don't think he's listed. No, he's not. Whoever, whatever is making that noise, uh, yeah, the person's not listed for it. I think I like Barry Hercules best. You know. Yeah, he's he's called Bongo Heracles in the uh, original Japanese one. Bongo Heracles. Yeah, Heracles H E R A C L E S. So it's Bongo oh, okay. Heracles. Okay, and it's a bit—it's Bigman Lee, not John Lee. He's Bigman Lee. Bigman Lee. Yeah, yeah. Doctor Ben's the same, and Lamia's still the same. PP is called PP Adamski. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. General Kyle's General Kuroda. So Captain it's not Car far off. Captain Carter's Captain Custer. <laughs> uh, Captain Orion is uh, Lieutenant Kozlo. Okay. Yeah, the Imperial Master's Emperor Gelmer. Oh, he's yeah, got a name. Okay. Yeah, there's a few. There's a few differences. I don't like John Lee. John Lee irritates me. Yeah. Um, you don't believe for one minute he's a crack pilot because these are the three crack pilot pilots, aren't they? They've been recruited to to pilot Project X, which is the uh, the X yeah, bomber. He, he seems more like a mechanic, doesn't he? That's what you kind of get the idea he is. He's more of a like a mechanic or an engineer. Yeah. Yeah, uh, type character. He's he doesn't seem like he's a, a crack pilot, like you said. Mm. Well, they're all flown off to Moonbase because that's where mm. the X bomber is. Um, and yeah, Moonbase we see it. It's a mixture of model work and paintings, all done very well. Yeah. Um, I, I like all the exterior shots here. And yeah, when you get to Moonbase, that the sets for these puppets. If if we say what they're like, you know, twelve inches tall, those sets are chuffing massive. 
to, yeah, the, to, to have yeah, the, one, the one where they're coming down the escalator, uh, the three puppets, when the first arrive of Moonbits is quite a decent size set, and there's quite a few extra characters hanging around. Um, mm. I, I think they're probably a bit bigger than 12. I, I, they look about maybe it's like 15, 16 inches in height, but uh, yeah, right. they're, they're, they're still not massive. But um, okay. yeah. Yeah, we also meet, as you say, PPA. Which mm. in the English version is stands for perfectly programmed Android. Android, yeah, yeah. Which is a terrible, terrible name. And and, and he's, he's just the R two D two or the Vincent or the um, C three PO. Yeah, yeah, he's he's, he's a, got the prissiness of C three PO, hasn't he? Yeah, he's he's all of those standard sci fi character robots. Just yeah, and, and comic relief, and he's just yeah. de- deeply irritating. And I don't believe for one minute those little wing things are what are making him fly. No. No, but he—he's a nice enough design, though, and you know, uh, he all lights up and stuff. Um, the worst thing about this show for me is Larnia. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you know, you know, she of the massive fringe. Um, um, she's just a total drip. She yeah. is just a total and utter drip, and she's the main reason for this show, isn't she? Yeah, she's not kind of like a Princess Leia or any of that type of character where she gets involved with the fighting. She is just a bit like, like you said, she just floats around in the background a lot of the time. And, and she's terrible. She's F-01 because that's what the bad guys are looking for, this thing F-01, which is going to be yeah. all powerful at the turn of the century. Um, and yeah, and she's got this companion, um, mm. you, you know, this guardian, this Wookiee type. Uh, with glowing yellow eyes. And, yeah, I mean, in Star Wars, you've got a Wookiee, and Ben Burke goes to the trouble of creating a language for the Wookiee. But this is just growling, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah, grunting. Just, yeah, there's nothing special about it at all, is there? And, and it doesn't... Re- it, he or she really doesn't add anything, doesn't do anything in this show at all. It, it's meant to be kind of her nursemaid, isn't it? I think that's what the original sort of... In the flashback, when... You first see you get found. I think yeah, it's, you know yeah. that that was with her when she was found, and it's like a bodyguard, I suppose. Yeah. But, mm. Mm. All right. Well. Well. Yeah. Th- it's at this point um, where we see the 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 bug attack fighters uh, of the Imperial Alliance um, attack Pluto base, and uh, terrific stuff. I mean, you've got all these tanks firing, you've got explosions going off everywhere, you've got very space nineteen ninety nine sound effects to the yeah. explosion stuff and it's very clear from this that people are dying this is a japanese show and there were mm. no nods to the child audience you know um and that was a surprise watching all 24 episodes we're only looking at the first one today but in later episodes you know uh main characters actually die and quite brutally in some cases you know and uh, it's like cool blimey <laughs> you know this is a children's show I thought it was funny that Commander Carter, um, he's actually wearing sunglasses on the... He's like in the space station or whatever on the base and he's wearing shades. He never, ever takes his sunglasses <laughs> off. And he becomes... Um, we've got a few spoilers here, but he becomes a bad guy and yeah. he, he's he got this symbiote uh, over his face, uh, but he's still wearing the sunglasses. Yeah, I think even when they're doing the interrogation thing and they've got the thing over his head, he's still got his shades on underneath. Yep. Yep, yep. And, no, no, the, the, the model work is excellent, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. You've also got brilliant model work as the X-Bomber um, launches from its hangar yeah. bay, comes up and, and out. Rock music as it mm. launches into space. Maybe this is what inspired Brian May to have a go. Yeah. 
Um, I thought what was funny about when the X-Bomb actually launches, because it's one of these kind of things, um, it, it, it's another sort of standard trope, the ship isn't quite ready for, for battle yet, but you know we've got to launch it anyway. Um, but when it's about to take off, I kind of, it's a long time since I've watched it, but I had visions of it almost, like when the engine's light, like it, it launching down a track like a sled, but it doesn't, the engine's light up, but then it rises upwards. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, which makes the engine's lighting up seem a bit, weird because the engines are designed to push it forward not to lift it up yes yeah um and i just had this vision of it sort of launching down the track um i don't know why why i thought of that i was thinking of fireball xl5 obviously maybe maybe i mean it's a huge ship and it, and and that was a question that i have you know over the 24 episodes it's it's routinely blowing up and crashing on uh surfaces of planets and stuff and yet you've only got a few people in the ship but um, they seem to repair it quite quickly every time. Oh, yeah, I mean, is it? The, I think it's the first episode it actually crashes, and it's out of like action till about the third episode. Just yeah. sat there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it, no, it's a nice design. I like it. Well, you, you don't yeah. see it very often, but it's got like its cobra neck lifts up to reveal a whacking great big gun inside, doesn't it? it? Well, yeah, it's got various things. It's got this kind of gun inside. It's got the X. X impulse or whatever it's called, which you can yeah. use. We don't find out until episode five it even has the robot with it. No, there's, there's there's no mention of that whatsoever. Suddenly in episode five, it's like yeah, we'll we'll launch the um, the X X bomber or whatever it's called, the die big die X die X. Yeah, uh, but you and, do see it though because it's the red sections of the yeah. X bomber. Oh yeah, which you, you, detach. Can, you can see it, but there's no hint at all in the story at that point that we've got this robot we can we can use. Mm. It just suddenly appears, and it's like, well, it was there all along, but they just didn't think to mention it. Yeah. Have you seen anywhere why uh, the decision was made to actually have space blue rather than black? Because I would have thought if you've got a blue sky, that's more difficult to hide the wires, isn't it? Mm, yeah, I'm not too sure. Because um, it's very sort of black hole in that respect, isn't it, then, mm. with, the, with the blue space? I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure. Um Maybe, I suppose, it just has a slightly more comic booky feel to it. Yeah. I mean, it works very well. It, it, it's rare that you actually do see wires. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the wire works really, really good for, for the most part. I mean, certainly on the DVD I was watching, I don't know if, if there is a Blu-ray, if it's been remastered at any point, but uh, certainly on the, um, on the TV broadcast and on the DVD, yeah, the wire works really well done. Yeah, I mean, all of it. I mean, you know, all the effects with the, uh, the, the bases blowing up, the explosions. I mean, you know, the Japanese are excellent at, um, at, in their kaiju films, you know. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you can get some very brilliant effects. And here we are in this show uh, coming across. Yeah. Um, another Star Wars reference in all this is, of course, um, you know, you've got the gun turrets. That yeah, Sh yeah. Shiro Ve and uh, Barry use. Yeah, very sort of tie fighter battle, isn't it? Sort of Millennium Falcon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and yeah, episode one ends up with it crashed. Mm, yeah. Does it crash on the moon? Yeah, yeah, yeah it leaves, it's, it's crashed it's, on the moon, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, above moon, like near moon base. Yeah, and then yeah. Um, in the second episode, Lamir actually drives out and watches. Looks like a jeep. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's yeah, a space she's, jeep. She's got no spacesuit on. It's just like a jeep with like normal windows and doors. You know, it doesn't seem like it's even like a space jeep. It just looks like she's in a silver jeep. Mm. Um, you know, it, it doesn't really seem that sort of realistic in that respect. So some of the stuff seems a bit dodgy. Yeah, I, I think you're. Uh, I think you did the right thing with stopping after five episodes because it does become very uh, repetitive. 
you yeah. know, uh, these two ships meeting up each time and then Makara thinking up a new plot, a new way of, you know, getting to Earth or get rid of X-Bomber or finding f Zero One, because that's what we do. Uh, over the course of the uh, story, we find out that Larnia is f Zero One. Yeah. Um, You've also got this search for the, for a skull ship, this like uh, uh, a sailing ship with a skull on the front. Yeah. Uh, and the mystery of that. And I, th- um, I think that was episode six. It was advertising at the end of episode five about the, the sailboat. I do remember that, but uh, it's a long time since I've watched it. Mm. Mm. I mean, after you, Andrew. No, I was just going to say the the thing is, is that it, it's well with the bad guys. It's pretty much like they just have that one command ship and the ships inside. It's not like there's a fleet of these ships. It's no. like that. It's like that is their ship, like the only ship they've, they've got. You know. Yeah, it makes you wonder how they've conquered the you know the section of the galaxy that they have because they do go back to see their boss, you know, the Imperial Master, who's in this like asteroid planet, but yeah. you know, never see any other ships. Because no. he's the only Imperial cruiser. Yeah. Mm. So, I, so, think, I think that's what Gordon Agai is on about, the limitations of probably the budget they were given. You know, I think he, he does say that you know they would have liked to have done more and have more variety of ships, but they just couldn't really afford to do it, you know. Yeah. We'll get into spoiler territory here, but, um, yeah, I mean, as I say, each episode is entertaining. It gets a bit monotonous. Mm. Until towards the end, when they do try new things, and towards the end, we met we meet Caliban, yeah. who is Makara's new ally, a um, very Stingray-looking villain, and uh, he starts off by creating a cyborg to assassinate F Zero One, but actually kills Professor Hagen. Now, Professor Hagen has been on the X Bomber all the way through this, yeah, and and he he is killed, and it's quite. I, I was quite taken aback by it. You don't realise he's dead. None of them realise he's dead, until somebody asks him a question and he doesn't turn round, and then it's like Professor, Professor, and then they realise that he he's been poisoned by this cyborg, Doctor Ben, Doctor Ben, you mean, not Professor here? Oh, sorry, sorry, got it yeah. wrong. Yeah, Doctor Ben, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, and um, so it's like, blimey, I uh, wasn't expecting that. Because I don't remember, I, I, I know I used to watch it, and I know I bought the look-ins, but I can't remember if I watched it right the way through to the end. And if I did, I don't remember things like yeah. that. Um, Orion, um, Orion uh, commits suicide, mm. which you don't expect from a children's show. Yeah. Uh, but the biggest shocker of all, spoiler, is uh, how Makara is pounded to death by Diex. She's actually punched to death by a mm. giant robot. And it's like, what? <laughs> I thought she would be there right till the end. Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird because obviously the show does come to an actual natural conclusion. It it, it didn't it didn't just end open ended like a lot of shows do. I, mean, I do remember it does come to an actual end. Um, you know, see, I don't remember the ending. Yeah, it does. I mean, Larnia becomes all powerful. Yeah. She has a battle, quite an, a, a silly little battle, because by that point, the Imperial Master is a man in a in a big paper mache head trying to attack Larnia, who is the actual puppet who's dangled on a, on a, on strings right in front of her, yeah. uh, uh, in front of him. And uh, in the end, she wins, and she goes off and becomes one with the cosmos. Yeah, and, and yeah, the the show does naturally end, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, so I mean, you know, there, there was talk 
you know that they may have done other series, but then would we have had uh, some of these characters resurrected, or would it have been completely new villains? You know, it would have been interesting to see. Yeah, because it was a big success. You know, um, ITV were very happy about it. It was a big success, um, and they wanted to actually put money into a second series, um, and that was something that go. How do you say it? go go night go, 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 go nagai. Yeah, he didn't know about it. He didn't know it was success. Nobody had told him that. Hey, hey, that yeah. show that you made two years ago is really big in in the UK. Um, and uh, yeah, ITV were all ready to co-fund it, but unfortunately, there had been a fire, hadn't there? Yeah, yeah, and all the sets and puppets and everything had been destroyed, hadn't it? So everything had been burnt down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, I, th- I think, in fact, the, the sort of do mention that there was potential for sort of a second and third series. I think they were, you know, they were keen on it. Um, and it does make you wonder whether we would have just financed it or whether they would have moved the puppets to the UK, you mm. know, um, for production. Oh, what about if Jerry Anderson then? You bring it to the UK and Jerry Anderson makes it. Yeah. That would have been a thing. We would have got that instead of Terror Hawks. I think Terror Hawks was getting produced at the same time. It does mention this on the documentary, doesn't it? Because um, the guy who was producing this in the UK said he gets a phone call one day uh, from Jerry Anderson. And he says, are you, uh, you know, the guy who's doing um, this uh, Starfleet? And he says, yeah. And he says, I just, you know, wonder what it's like. And he says, you know, you ain't seen nothing type thing. I think he, <laughs> he said it to worry Jerry Anderson, you know, because they were doing Terror Hawks around about the same time. So, you know, Jerry's probably thinking, well, what the hell is it, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, what else have I got here? Oh, yes, the the, the voices, the English voices uh, yeah. that we were talking about. Um, yeah, of, might, might be of interest to some of our listeners. Um, Shiro Hagen was mm. was voiced by Jay Benedict. Yeah. Who not only played Newt's father in the deleted scene in Aliens. Yeah, Russ Jordan. Yeah. Yes. And uh, he played Deke in the deleted Star Wars scene yeah. at uh, Anchorhead. He was Deke and he was Newt's father. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's a bit of a shame that the, the two other genre things he was in, you didn't see him in at the cinema. Mm. Uh, who else have we got? Constantine Gregory was Barry Hercules. Yeah. This who, I who, I so, sorry. I was gonna say he's he's a um, he's a white guy. He's not. He's. I always thought he was probably a black actor, but it's not. He's a white guy, and he's been in a lot of movies. Oh uh, right, right. Um, uh, you know, he's he's uh, type of person who's been in things like Golden Eye and stuff like that. You know, just uh, a bit right. part of characters. He's a a known face. Right. Um, the one I can't, I still, even knowing it, I can't believe it's him, is, um, you know, John Lee was yep. voiced by Mark Ralston, who was again. Drake in Aliens. In Aliens, yeah, again, another Aliens character. I can't believe it, you know, I know I know what Drake sounds like, and yeah, but apparently, you know, he was John Lee. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and then we've got Captain Carter, he of the sunglasses, um, was Garrick Hagen. Yeah, who played Biggs in Star Wars, yeah. and uh, yes, and it, and along with his wife, who was the voice of Lam- Lamia, mm. they are the uh, adults that have uh, have the stick up at the beginning of the first uh, Tim Burton Batman film. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's actually Captain Carter and Lam- Lamia. Yeah, um, Sean Barrett played Captain Orion, and he played TikTok in Return to Oz. So you've got two voice people from here in 
return mm. to Oz. And then again, another he, one. He, he only voiced TikTok. He wasn't actually in the suit. No, no, just the voice. Yeah, no. yeah. And uh, yeah, another one. It's like, no, you're kidding. Um, Caliban and Professor Hagen uh, was Al Matthews. Yeah. Good old Apone from again, Aliens. Aliens, yeah. That's yeah, really what weird. Is, like, what, what is it with Starfleet and Aliens? It seems like there was a group of these actors, like Al Matthews and Mark Ralston, and uh, the the other guy who played Frost in Aliens, who were sort of all American actors, but just seemed to be living in London at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why they all ended up in Aliens, because Cameron was obviously looking for like American actors, uh, or American sounding actors, but didn't necessarily want to bring them from the states. So no, these they had guys, to already be over here. Yeah, yeah. Th- these guys. It's the same as. Um, the Peter Marinka who plays Dr. Ben, he was Canadian, mm. uh, but you know, he was living in the UK or, you know, probably still lives in the UK. Um, mm. But do you know the connection with uh, the, what the Peter Marinka thing is now in terms of sci-fi? Go on. This is the guy apparently who redubbed Sam J. Jones in Flash Gordon. Oh, is that him? Yeah, Peter Marine Crew plays Dr. Ben. And if you listen to Dr. Ben's voice and his Americanisms, um, on the documentary um, Life After Flash, Peter Wingard says there was a Canadian actor brought in. Mm. Um, and I have heard the name Peter Marinka mentioned, and he is actually a Canadian actor. And he's voiced a lot of stuff. You know, he's, he's, he's a, a, a jobbing actor who's been in lots of stuff. He's voiced lots of computer games. He's voiced lots of cartoons. Um, and when you listen to sort of like Dr. Ben and you listen to his Americanisms, you kind of think, yeah, I could easily see this because the guy who's who did the relooping for right, Flash. Right. You know, because at the time, you know, when this was done, this is like 1980 as well, isn't it? And same year as Flash. So, yep. you know, he'll have just been hanging around studios doing voices for this and that. So, um, it, have, you, have you seen the Life After Flash documentary? Oh, I love it. My, yeah. my, my love for Brian Blessed has gone up even more. Yeah. So, see, he is interviewed in that. and uh, No, sorry, he isn't interviewed in that. I, I, Wingard mentions him in that, sorry. Mm. Um, and uh, it, he's now kind of credited on IMDb as the voice of Flash, even though it's not been fully... Uh, know, right. ...thing, but uh, I, it's probably a fair chance he is the guy. Um, but so, uh, with, with Flash, I mean, I know we're going to have a bit of tangent here, I was never too sure whether the entire voice of Flash was redubbed or they just re-looped certain things. I get the feeling it was just the redubbing of certain lines. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he re-looped the entire voice because some of it does... If you listen to Sam J. Jones talking, he does sound... Um, when he's on set, he sounds like his voice. So well, you, you should save all this because at the end of this, I was going to, to say to you, next time, do you want to do Flash Gordon? You have completely preempted me. So, uh, all right, okay. <laughs> sa- save all this for next time. I, yeah. I need to talk to you when we finish recording uh, today about that, okay? Um, so that's pretty much it. That's about it. Um, so what, do you, what would you give episode one um, of Starfleet out of ten? Um... Probably, like, when I was younger, I probably would have given it a 10. Uh, it's probably, like, a 7. Mm. Um, you know, it, they're quite short as well, because obviously when we watched these when we were younger, they had commercial breaks in between as well. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. And they're only about, what, running about 22 minutes long, an episode, I think. And you you, you have a long lead-in. You have a long recap to begin with, don't you? Before, you know, you get the, the theme song and then the theme song at the end is quite long. So, yeah, each episode is only like 20 minutes, isn't it? 
this does make me wonder with the leading and the the end when it shows you next episode whether stuff was cut from these episodes you know Mm. Uh, was the violence in these episodes that needed to be trimmed out i've never seen any of the japanese ones so i can't really compare uh, but mm. it does make you wonder you know whether whether they are intact in terms of the running time or whether it was a a case of well we'll we'll pad the beginning out we'll pad the end out and um you know we can yeah, it, little, it could be a battle. Down. It could be a battle of the planets, isn't it? Because that's markedly yeah. different. If you if if you find out just exactly what was in the Japanese original compared to what we got in our, you know, whitewashed, you know, safe, mm. uh, you, you know, Western version. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've, ne- I've never seen anyone sort of like selling a box set of the original Japanese version of this of X Bomber. Um, no, but I tell you what, boy, oh boy, oh boy, there was some merchandise in Japan for Starfleet. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I'd love some of those model kits. Well, one thing that um, we didn't mention was um, the message from space, which was the Japanese film that came out in 1978, which was their sort of take on Star Wars, which was their live action film. Oh, yes, I remember Message from Space. Um, yep. The guy who did the special effects for Message from Space actually directed X-Bomber. Um, it was a guy called Mishio Mikami, and mm-hmm. um, lots of the optical effects, or like the um, the rays that the ships fire, especially the Commander Makara's ships, like those kind of almost like lightning, lightning rays, things, yeah. are very much like the same sort of uh, feel that the Message in Space has, and the miniature work. I mean, the Message in Space obviously had a bigger budget, so they could build bigger miniatures, but th- there's a very similar feel to the two, and that's... We've said this before about, you know, certain things, whether it's comic books or whether it's like, you know, British TV shows, American TV shows, there's a feel to them. Mm. And, um, you know, you can tell that with this, you know, it really does. And in fact, I think the, the helmet that Makar was wearing with those kind of weird horns sticking out the side mm. is very much like the main villain from Message from Space. It's a guy um, in that and he's kind of like his face is painted blue and he's kind of got makeup on but he wears this helmet with the kind of the six horns mm. three on either side so it's you know it's almost like it's a live action version of that suit um, if, you, if you watch that and I think Message from Space was then made into a TV series as well which again had like a Wookiee type creature well there you go um, all these so links so there's lots of like you know um, say the cross-pollination between crew definitely the other thing i found about this as well in terms of its special effects was like when they're shooting the miniatures you kind of get get the feeling that sometimes the um the depth of field it's it's almost like the camera's quite far back and they're zoomed in on the miniatures mm-hmm. um because sometimes if there's like sort of several ships in one shot there's like depth of field problems um you know they're not shooting on a wide lens it seems like they're shooting on like a you know, like more like a zoom lens at times. Do you um, think that's because of the explosions? They didn't want to get the camera too close because they they went off blowing things up, weren't they? Yeah, possibly. Um, I mean, the, 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 when they first use the the X impulse on Makara's ship, there's like physical explosions on the ship, but there's actually some optical explosions being added over the top as well, mm. um, which which were actually quite well done. Um, but see, most of the miniature shots, um, you know, they are nice. And the thing about this as well is you, you've been like me. You're probably looking at X-Bomber. You're probably looking at Makara ship, looking for kit parts. But I couldn't really spot no, anything. I was. Um, and no, it's like, and, and, you know, the amount of model kits that are available in Japan, you yeah. would think. But no, not one Tamiya piece did I see. No, no. I think there was one. I think it's the, the scene where um, Higgins, uh, Shiro's actually stood outside listening to Lamia 
explaining or he, she's getting the explanation of how she was found and I think there's a, a bulkhead door and I think it's got like the the sort of head of a tank sort of painted silver on there you know oh, like right. a, a panzer tank or something uh, I think it's probably one of the only kit parts I actually did spot I wonder uh, what all the other pieces are then well like you said there was a there was a lot of Japanese kits I suppose that you know of Various oh, things that, that are probably they could be obscure, yeah, 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 macros kits and stuff like that. Could be, yeah, gun, Gundam stuff, stuff we never even saw over here, so we wouldn't mm. recognize them. Could be, couldn't it? But the bridge of the actual X Bomb is a really nice set. I mean, that's how it was like the, the main sort of set, isn't it? Really, when you're in that ship, it's kind of like yeah, everybody is, and um, it's very that's, spaced that's... out, isn't it? It's, it? it's not cramped at all, is it? Yeah, I always thought it was quite amusing when they actually go on those little kind of travel buggies to actually go into the big die X. It seems like they're travelling further than the ship actually yes, is, is in yeah. size. <laughs> I think it, that's it, that's a nod to Jerry Anderson, isn't it? Oh, it's like def- Thunderbirds, how, how they used to get into the Thunderbird craft. Yeah. 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 It's interesting as well that Anderson's actually interviewed on that documentary, so he's obviously, you know... Yeah, I was surprised to see him on there. Yeah, very aware of it, and I think he had a bit of respect for the show, didn't he, you know? Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, they yeah. were very respectful to him as well, weren't they? Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 All right, okay, well, thank you for today then, uh, Andrew. All right, yeah. All right, so I'm, I'm going to stop the recording now, and I've got to put something to you, Ooh, uh, missus, all right? So, <laughs> all right. thanks, everyone. See you next time. Bye-bye. Space pilot Hagenson. Space pilot John Lee. And I'm Barry Hercules, Doc.